winter in America, never the white Christmas. L7 squares, always making my shit. Spring is in the air and all the flowers bloom. Welcome to the Grip Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Sky Osborne. Thanks for coming back and listening. We are back this week with Leah. And we're going to keep covering the topic of racial fetishes until we feel, until we, feel we get that all uh, fleshed out. Uh, you can follow the Grip Podcast on YouTube, uh, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Just search the Grip Podcast. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the Grip Podcast and um, on Facebook at the Grip Podcast. Uh, go on there and leave a comment. Uh, DM me, ask me questions, ask us questions. Uh, we want to have a conversation with you all, um, not just talk at you. And uh, we want to make sure we're talking about things that are also relevant to, to you guys as well. Uh, so, again, thanks for tuning in. Go on iTunes. Um, leave a comment, rate us, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, go to Be Humane. Or actually go to skyent.live. Skyent.live. Get your uh, Be Humane wristband. Wear that in public. People ask you what it is. You tell them what your Be Humane issue is. Uh, it could be police brutality, systematic racism. Uh, global warming, it could be politics and where you stand on education and healthcare, it could be anything. Uh, it's a conversation starter. Uh, just a moment here, we're gonna go ahead and get Lee on the phone and get this going. Who's used to feel the progress of this here very nation? Whose taste is grown bitter through justice expiration? These fruitful trees are rooted in bloody soil and torment. Things haven't really changed in the dormant for the moment. Marks and scars we own it only makes for tougher skin. Helps us actualize the actual greatness held within. And on the wrong team, so much can't recognize a win. Seems like my only crime is having melanin. Connection to the sun so strong, the relationship is lusted for. Cause it's meant to suffocate. I can't breathe no more. Settlers score sadly need an abacus to tally. Through all the peaks and valleys, yo, I recognize it sadly. Black soul bold enough, inner city cold enough. Watch me get all my goons, watch us get soldiered up. Soldier, soldier, soldier. Love this song. This is um the killing season, a tribe called Quest. Uh, I think it's their latest album. A lot of good messages and songs and all just great hip-hop, great music on that album. I love it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the uh, playlist shuffle real quick by myself. Um, I'm going to figure out a way to do this in the future with people on the phone um, so we can at least get their reaction to it rather than me just sitting here <laughs> shuffling music uh, for you all. So let me go ahead and uh, get into one of my playlists and uh, get this going. Here we go, shuffle. This thing right here <laughs> is the official ladies' anthem. Ladies, I want you to put your drink down, pull your thong. Thong song. Cisco, Foxy Brown. Uh-huh. And shake your <laughs> Check it out. Who that dress so scandalous? And you know enough to handle it. So you're shaking that thing like who's the ish with the look in your eyes so devilish. Uh, you like a Lighten the mood a little bit. Everybody have a party. Get a drink wherever you are. I don't care if it's breakfast time when you're listening to it. Spike your coffee.
you know, for those of you that are new to the podcast, uh, playlist shuffle is a thing I do with guests and when it's just me hosting in person, where we um, go to one of our playlists, hit shuffle, and um, whatever song comes up comes up, and it's just supposed to be like a little fun thing we do that kind of gives you some insight into the person and what they listen to. It's just a fun thing to do. Okay, so hopefully uh, you enjoyed that. And uh, I laugh because, you know, we, we have these like serious conversations about things. And then, you know, Cisco Thong Song comes on. So that's uh, pretty funny. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, call Leah. And jump right into it. You think I'd have her number on speed dial? I should probably do that. Hello? Good morning. Morning. How's it going? Great. That's like 10 on the dot, right? Yeah. Look at that. So <laughs> impressive. I like I've I've been doing the podcast for about I don't know 5 minutes and I just did the playlist shuffle. And uh I'm going to tell you this wait, actually I'm going to play the song for you that came up uh in just a second. But I was just really proud of myself cuz I did the timing perfect. It like 10 hit and I was dialing your number. <laughs> like so professional. <laughs> I can't handle how good I am. <laughs> oh my god! All right, hold on. This actually, the playlist shuffle I did this time was hilarious because of the song that came up. Okay. And I'm going to see if I can play this really quick over the loudspeaker and let you see if you can hear this. This was so ridiculous. I was like, oh my god, like. Your your friends and family are gonna listen to this. They're gonna be like, "Oh my god, what is going on here?" <laughs> Hold on, let's see if okay. I can find this. This is really bad. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, what could this be? What song could this be? All right, here it's not. It's not in that playlist. All right, hold on a second here. I can't play it on my phone because I'm on the phone with you, so I got to go find it on my computer. Okay, gotcha. Uh, um, so while I'm looking for this, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Yeah, just blazed through um, Chinatown this morning, dropping cash everywhere. <laughs> Man, what time did you get up? It's 10 a.m., everybody. Why did I get up? At, I woke up at like 7-something. Ridiculous. Oh, but I'm weekend. so excited to go see my nephews, and I always take them a ton of um, Chinese pastries. That's like our thing now, oh, doing okay. my little... Asian anti thing. So, and I have to go before they sell out because they right. like sell out super early. All these like elderly, you know, Chinese people and whatever they like in there eating their pastries, I guess. I don't know who buys it. Yeah. Anyways, but I buy like so much of it. So, anyway, so I went to do all that. Okay. So you've been up and at it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I think I found the song. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Is this going to work? 
Can you hear anything? A little bit, yeah. I'm gonna try to turn up a little bit more. Can you hear anything? Not very well. It's okay. pretty quiet. Hold on. Can you hear anything? Yeah. <laughs> Did you recognize it? <laughs> it's hard. It's kind of like it's a little fuzzy, which okay. I, I heard like some pieces, but. Okay. Hold on. I, I don't have a way to to drive it right into the phone like I, said, I got to figure that out but it's um Cisco thong song <laughs> why why I was like oh this is just this is ridiculous as we pick up our our, our conversation about racial fetishes right <laughs> And I was saying, when you go back and listen to it at the beginning, I, I just started cracking up. I was like, oh, this is so appropriate. <laughs> In a weird, inappropriate kind of way. <laughs> like, we're, ta- we're tackling like these extremely serious issues, and then Cisco comes up singing thong songs. What the hell am I listening to? <laughs> Come on, Matt. Get your, get your music together. <laughs> But I was saying, like, that's the whole point of the playlist shuffle is you can't control it. Right. You know, you just hit shuffle right. and let the cards fall where they may. Outed yourself today. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I told everybody, get a drink wherever you were. <laughs> and just listen to the thong song and oh strap gosh. in. <laughs> no pun intended. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna get fired from my own podcast. Already. What's that? <laughs> so I'm gonna get fired from my own podcast. <laughs> You're grounded for four four podcast sessions. Yeah, I'll just put just repeats kidding. on. Okay, got that out the way. Oh my gosh, that, that was that was funny. I mean, usually I have to have somebody here to enjoy that. I mean, you're kind of here, but you know, whatever. <laughs> you try to bring me in, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, I don't know how we segue from that into what we're going into, so I guess we just <laughs> jump in the deep end. So, Leah, just tell like me... cough laugh there. That was so attractive. <laughs> People think I'm dying. Just, just, just jump into the deep end here, man. Let's go. Racial fetishes. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, abrupt. let's see. Where, okay, so where do we end off? We were talking about... Um, you were saying I because this actually made a lot of it made a lot of people think. Um, I got some feedback from where you said um, your dad. Um, you asked your dad what was your mother, and he said Christian. Right. And then that took us down that religious conversation that um, I think was really productive. So that's where we I think ended up last time. I don't know if you had that jotted down. Yeah. Yeah. What um, did you get? Any sort of feedback you want to share or? Um, I had I had uh, one person come up to me and was talking to me about um, how all the religions are talking about the same thing. Or not all of them, but most of them. You know, they all kind of have, uh, you know, like this Jesus figure um, or there's some kind of prophet or representative of God. And um, 
I, I guess they were just acknowledging that maybe I, I, just, I'm, I guess I'm reading between the lines here. They didn't specifically say this to me, but it just kind of felt like they were wanting to communicate to me that the stuff we were talking about is not really stuff that you hear people talk about. Um, I guess openly. Um, sure. I guess these are like closed door conversations people have. <laughs> right. You know, right, right. and talking about them in out in public and everything is just, I don't, maybe it's jarring. I don't know. Um, I can just imagine if like we were on like a, let's say we had like, you know, I don't know, millions of listeners. Could you just imagine like, social media reacting to the things we talk about <laughs> yeah I, kind of a nightmare yeah i feel like it would just be madness <laughs> I, I can't even read these comments i felt like there would be some good mixed in with some bad um right. but I, I think we too often focus on the negative and the bad because i'm sitting here thinking all oh, the bad comments would be outrageous and uh, i don't i guess i wouldn't even want to focus on that for being honest I mean, I think if you had millions of listeners, you don't have time to sift through all that anyways. You don't care, right? You have right. enough listeners that <laughs> yeah. whatever. If you don't like it, don't listen. Exactly. <laughs> like, why are you tuning in if you hate it so much? I mean, if you're at that point, you know, it's just like, well, there's enough other people. I, I hate your podcast, like, but I listen to all of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And rant every time. Yeah. Since like, you hate mail. Like, hey, sounds like you're a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you guys. Okay. <laughs> frenemy um go. yeah well good it's i mean it's always interesting to hear what kind of resonates with people and you know because we talk about a lot we, we typically talk about a lot of different topics so right, it's right. nice to hear um you know what, what's connecting with people so yeah so okay so yeah so last time we were talking about my, my parents relationship and then we kind of um yeah, I kind of got off into to religion and Christianity for a while. Um, so I kind of want to maybe get back into my parents' relationship a little bit. And I'm yeah. sure we'll we'll probably trail off again, but kind of see where the conversation leads. Sure, Does that yeah. sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, so a couple other things that um, – not that I want to just like just talk about my parents' relationship this whole time, but a couple other, like, I think important points to hit on about their relationship. Well, I think that, I think that relates to people though. I mean, I know it may feel like right. I'm just talking about my family and my parents, but I'm, other people are having these issues, right? Right. Yeah. So very I, true. I, I think it's nice. Um, yeah. So I think another big thing <clears throat> with my dad, you know, with the whole, um, being racist, being a white supremacist, but marrying a person of color, um, I think it mattered to him, like in their case, that she, that she was Asian and not black, you know, like right. I, I think for, for him, um, that made the cognitive dissonance and the, the mental hoops that he jumped through easier because, you know, we have this racial hierarchy in the U S and again, this is one of those things that people don't necessarily talk about a ton maybe, or name it. But Asians typically, um, you know, are kind of conceived <laughs> of as being kind of the next step below whites. Right? I, I hear kind you. Like, I hear you dancing. Blacks are at the bottom of the food chain. <laughs> right. Blacks are at the bottom. You have, you know, you have whites at the top. Then you have Asian, like, well, Eastern Asian. <laughs> and then you have like South Asian, Southeast Asian, you know, darker 
the darker the darker you get the farther down the 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 hierarchy you go right and so i think you know for him the fact that she was asian kind of enabled like i don't think he would have been with a black woman i guess is basically what i'm trying to say um or even other you know a south asian woman who you know was darker skinned or yeah i was going to ask you about that real quick um because <laughs> it, it's like the shade of skin the darker the skin gets you know the the more you're kind of ostracized in society um, right that's why like the really really dark black people um let me say this real quick, because this just came to mind. My little brother is um, much darker than I am, okay. and I'm I'm not as dark as him. And growing up, my mom always had me watch out for him, because she knew yeah. about that. And he was right. mistreated because his skin was darker than mine, and I was given a better treatment than um, you know some dark kids because my skin's lighter uh, right. than his. And that's just really fucked up you know right um, but i had to watch out for my little brother because he was darker yeah and you don't hear yeah. people talk about that right yeah um yeah exactly what we're talking about and yeah. so um yeah so there's that piece um i think it's also important to note with my parents um so you know some of the stereotypes that come in well, kind of the sexism piece and stereotypes of Asian women, mm -hmm. right? Like my dad was also like a raging sexist, like super sexist mm -hmm. in addition to being racist. It's like great combo, um, combo meal. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think he, you know, he wanted someone who was going to cook and clean and wait on him and do those kinds of things. And I'm not saying that my mom you know, was like 150% that person, but being raised in a very traditional Chinese household mm -hmm. in the area or the era that she was raised in, that is what she was taught. That's actually what I was taught growing up. That like, this was like my role as a woman. I mean, you know, to, to cook and to clean. And I mean, my mom also taught my brothers those things, Yeah, but that was definitely emphasized for me. Um, you know, that that was kind of my arena, my area as a woman and my dad, you know, that's definitely what he, what he wanted. And so the, um, I think that was another thing that maybe played into him, uh, deciding to marry a woman of color when he was racist. Yeah. Um, and my, my friend, uh, I think I mentioned, I've mentioned her before my friend, Evelyn, um, spent her first maybe decade and a half in Zimbabwe. And she and I talk about this a lot, that there are men out there that they they want to marry an African woman or they want to marry an Asian woman because they want those like traditional gender roles. And, you know, I think I'm not even saying there's anything inherently wrong with being like fitting into some of those stereotypical gender roles. But I think it's all about if you're choosing to do that or if you're expected to do that or feeling forced to fit into that. Um, but yeah, I think that was another, you know, probably appeal <laughs> to my father yeah, um, because of who he was. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's kind of the, the brief ish overview of, um, 
of my parents' relationship and kind of answering that question of how, how could your dad, you know, marry a person of color if he's racist? Um, Can I ask you something? Yeah, of course. Um, and if this takes us down another rabbit hole, we can come back to it. I, I okay. just don't want to forget. Do you have, I guess, any perspective into your mom's view? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And I mean, it's kind of a like sad question for me. Not that I'm like over here, like, damn it, Matt, why'd you ask that? <laughs> I'm not over here crying. But yeah. You know, but I, I think it, I it, mentioned it, before that she passed, you know, she passed away yeah. when I was in my late teens and uh, my mom was not someone who was able to really open up very easily yeah. to friends, to my dad, to even her best friends. Um, I I don't know how much of that. I mean, I think a lot of that was cultural that, she, you know, she was living in an environment that was not her um, dominant culture. You know, there's very different ways of communicating you know, yeah. a, a, Asian communication styles are very indirect and Western communication, U.S. communication is very direct. You know, she was she was kind of a, a fish out of water, so to speak, yeah. even though she was raised in the U.S. She was raised with all those cultural, you know, culturally Chinese ways of being and communicating. And so I don't you know, I, I think a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that she did try to talk to people and they didn't understand her. And I just say that because that was my experience, even as someone who was much more Americanized than she was. I tried to talk to people. I mean, I think we we talked about this in the first episode we did, you know, to mentors, counselors, pastors, friends, best friends um, about issues of race and culture and and issues I was having and struggles I was having. And they just didn't get it. Yeah. And. You know, so it's hard for me to know, uh, to answer your question, like a lot of my mom's thoughts. I mean, I I have some guesses in a lot of areas, but it's not maybe stuff that she ever explicitly stated to me um, or to others um, that I know of. Um, But I do know, just to delve into that a little more, she... Um, so, so my grandparents, um, owned a laundry mat in Southern Indiana. They, they didn't start out there. They, they started out on the West coast and then had a laundry mat in St. Louis for a while. The business deal, they had gone into business with like a cousin or something my mm-hmm. grandfather had, and it kind of went bad. The relationship went bad. And so my grandfather moved, you know, then to Evansville. I'm not sure why that was a question that. ate away at me for a very long time like why the hell did you decide to move to freaking Evansville Indiana like why why (laughs) why um but and and we were actually the first Chinese family in Evansville wow period and so there are all these it's kind of creepy and weird but also awesome I have dozens of articles that were written in the newspaper, like the local newspapers followed my family um, for years. Yeah. Really? Because we were like exotic. We were strange. We were, you know, like the first (laughs) Asian folks that a lot of these white folks had seen. You know, this was in the 19, 
40s, 1930s through, you know, what, 1950s or 60s? Yeah. So, you know, so I have all these articles, but the language in it is so archaic, you know, like family from red China. What? And yeah. And like Oriental man, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, the, the language is, you know, the language that was being used in <laughs> that era. And so those articles have actually given me, so, you know, a lot of insight into more of my, my family history. Um, but anyways, yeah. So we were the first family, first Chinese family in that area, ran this laundry um, and then after sometime right after my, my mom, my mom was the youngest, right after she, she graduated from high school, her parents decided to move to Chicago. Um, her oldest brother had already moved to Chicago with his family. And so, um, her parents decided to, to make that move. And she, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm pretty sure she had the option to go with them. But she decided to stay. She decided to stay in Evansville. I'm like, Mom, why? Yeah. <laughs> my my life's trajectory could have been so different. Well, maybe I wouldn't even exist. Who knows? Um, but anyways, but she decided to stay in, in Evansville. And I don't know if that was just, you know, I, I know her parents were very... Uh, had extremely high expectations as far as grades and that sort of thing, kind of like your, you know, typical Asian parents. And she didn't have a lot of freedom with them. And so I don't know if part of it was wanting to get out from under their roof to have, you know, more freedom. Um, if that was just her comfort zone, that's where she'd been raised. And, you know, that was what she knew and she, she didn't want to deal with a big change. But for whatever reason, she decided to stay in southern indiana and then a couple years later you know she met my dad and that whole you know part of her life started um but i know that she always struggled to really connect deeply with people and that was something after my mom passed away that i would get so frustrated with my dad over because that you know tiny that community that town of 500 <laughs> that I grew up in and that, that surrounding, you know, that County, there were, there were women that my mom was like acquaintances with and, you know, she was friends with them, but it wasn't like a deep friendship. And my mom, my dad yeah. kind of like demonized her for that. Like, well, these women want to be your mom's friend. And why doesn't she put more effort or why doesn't she want to be their friend? And I'm like, dad, are you an idiot? Like she doesn't, they don't understand her. These women, like these white women that have lived in a town of 500 their entire lives. There's only so deep, Ma, you know, that of a relationship that mom can have with them. Yeah. And so, so I know that she really struggled and that's not to say she didn't have friends. She did have friends. Um, but I, but I know that she really struggled and even with our, in it, within our family, you know, I've already talked about my dad, you kind of know where he, he was, um, as far as not really understanding her and, um, you know, he didn't stand up for her with his family. They were very, not every member of the family, but his parents and a, a lot of his siblings, 
never really accepted my mom and were very open about that. They were very racist towards her. And she, you know, did everything for decades to be like a good daughter-in-law and like buy presents for them at Christmas and make food for them and, and, you know, to try to like win them over. And they never, I mean, it was finally on my mom's deathbed. (laughs) She was literally on her deathbed. And my grandpa was finally like, well, you know, she's a really good woman and I'm sad she's dying or something like that. And I'm like, well, great. Now that that matters. Yeah. Like now that, you know, like you've now that she's like dying, you realize that maybe you treated her like shit. Well, thank you for nothing. Um, so anyway, sorry, that may have been a really long tangent, but yeah, no, I was just, I was just of, curious um, if you had any insight into her perspective because we, 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 we talked so much about, you know, how your dad, about viewed, my dad, you know, how he viewed it. And I was kind of just curious about how your mom viewed it. Yeah. If you even knew if she even shared anything with you, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I think I don't talk about that so much because it's I don't have as much insight. I didn't have as much time with yeah. her, but I do I do feel like she probably went the route of trying to assimilate. Yeah, not even maybe consciously. You know, it may have. I mean, like I said, they were the first Chinese family in Evansville, and then she ends up marrying my dad and moving to this small rural white town, like. That's kind of a survival. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. That was my next question: Was do you think it was kind of a survival thing? I mean, I think once you're in that situation, if you're going to stay in that situation, you you know, like you kind of have to do what you got to do to to make friends or to have some sort of social life. Or like I look back again, even on my life, um, being more Americanized than she was, being half white so therefore more acceptable in some you know white circles and you know i look back and i'm like damn look at everything i did all the like pain i swallowed and all the racism i overlooked and uh, like everything i did to myself not that i was doing it to myself others were doing it to me but then you know how i chose to handle that because that was everyone around me. So what was I going to do? Like, yeah, you know, you, you, you have to, it is kind of a survival thing. Let me ask you this. I've heard this statement referred to with black people, but I'm sure it applies to other um, races and um, ethnicities, cultures. But I heard somebody say once that black people move through the world playing defense and white people move through the world playing offense. Right. Have you heard something like that? Yeah. Because, like, you think about it, white people don't, they don't, I mean, I can't, I'm not speaking blanketly for all white people, but I'm saying my understanding of their world is they move through the world just doing, right. just living, just existing, doing, living, right, being regular, being normal. You know, black people, Asian people, whatever, whoever it could be, um, I can speak from my own personal you know, background, we move through the world, unfortunately, playing defense to a degree, you know, like, yeah. how am I viewed? I don't want to upset these people. I need to change my voice for this job interview. I need to make sure I'm not threatening. I probably need to wear my hair a little more natural right. or groom so I don't, you know, intimidate anybody. Like, we're constantly doing that mentally. Um, I hate that. And 
I don't want to say I hate myself for that, but it's just kind of a survival thing, which is why I, I thought about what you were just saying in that in that in those terms. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, you just hit on, um, you know, that that's what we mean by white privilege, right? Like white privilege doesn't mean you don't have hardships in life or everything's handed to you on a silver platter, but it means you're not dealing with the obstacles and the burdens and the trauma and the psychological load, right? That people of color deal with on an every single day basis, which is just exactly what you just described. Like all these, like the strategizing and, and how to move through a world and through our jobs and through dating relationships or what platonic relationships move through whatever in this world that's very white and and created for whiteness yeah um yeah and so you know i i recognize a lot of that in myself and you know i have i eventually decided to kind of um to stop doing that i don't know if you ever hundred <laughs> percent stop are able to stop doing that in the context of the yeah, US. It's kind of ingrained in you. Well, it's ingrained in you. And it's just, unless you're moving in completely um, POC spaces, like in every single facet of your life, then it's just not even really a possibility, right? Like at my job, like where I work, I, my bosses are white. I still have to bite my tongue here and there. And you know, yeah, I have to, do stuff <laughs> to, to keep my job and that sort of thing. So, but I think for me, my, once I got out of that area, that, that Southern Indiana and was in grad school, I decided that I, I, I kind of made this decision that like, I am passionate enough about these issues that I'm going to go here and let the chips fall where they may like, but, but, I was in a place then that I could do that because I had other friends. I had other social circles. I wasn't completely immersed in whiteness. And so I had kind of the safety and the resources, and I don't mean financial resources, right? But like social resources and relational resources to be able to say, okay, if this, like, if I lose all my friends from Southern Indiana over this, then I can survive. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyways, um, you know, I, I definitely know that my mom was in that situation to an even greater degree than I was, um, living in that area. And that's kind of heartbreaking for me because I know the toll that that's taken on me and I can only imagine that being doubled or tripled, for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I don't know, maybe I don't talk about my mom too much cause it's like sad for me, you know, to think about that she lived in this like racial isolation married to this man who was super racist and his family didn't accept her. And you know, when I really think about like all the factors in her life, um, you know, I know it wasn't easy. And I remember one time when she, said that we were teenagers um we kids and i I forget we had kind of a little family blow up about something i don't even remember what it was about and she just like started crying and she said i feel like you're all against me and she was talking about like us kids and my dad 
And I know that that it, it was a cultural thing. Like we did not understand her as a Chinese woman, as an Asian woman. And when you don't understand something and it's different from every everyone else in your context you demonize that you mm-hmm. you know you view that negatively you view that as wrong or weird or strange or crazy or whatever and so you know it just like breaks my heart to think that my mom you know felt that even from her own children and spouse you know so um yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's um, it's it's definitely not the exact same thing, um, but it's funny because my mom is from Memphis, Tennessee, and I don't know if you ever been to Memphis, but um, it's different now. Demographics are much different, but when she was there, um, it was predominantly black, like just a black city, black people everywhere. And she grew up kind of in that you know black cocoon, right? Right. Um, safe circle. And when um, she married my dad, um, African American male. Um, because of his job, they ended up moving to Indiana. <laughs> mm, really? I swear to God. Um, Indiana. Wait, what? I didn't realize your family lived in Indiana. What? Um, I I can't. What part? Maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. I I was I never lived there. It was my mom and dad before I was born. Okay. And I can't remember what part. I'll follow up with you on that. But yeah, let me know. It was Indiana, and my mom tells me stories about how like scared she was because she went from all black people to all white people. Right. And it terrified her. Um, She talked about it and how she didn't like to go out and all these other things. And she was away from her home and her mother and all of her, you know, all of that. And I I just, I guess I was just saying, I think the circumstances are kind of interesting how they, it was both in Indiana. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) and then the culture shock of all of it. Right. Well, and I, you know, I'm super interested being from Indiana, like what part they were in. I mean, you know, I'm pretty open with people that I think Indiana is a trash state. Not that I mean all, (laughs) not that I mean, I've never said that to you. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's one of my little phrases. Uh, Not that I mean every person in Indiana is like, I'm not talking about the people necessarily well i guess i am kind of sorry let me let me explain this before i get in trouble um (laughs) but that was like one of the things i i learned in grad school like i started trying to figure out like why is indiana so crappy in so many ways and so racist and so this and so that and i remembered actually from my time um in school right out of um high school when i came to school in chicago i remembered one of my black friends telling me Oh, Indiana, like black folks don't go to Indiana. Like I'm not going there. Mm-mm, nope. Yeah. No, thank you. And I, and I, I didn't ask him at the time, like, well, what, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? But I, but that freight, you know, that, that comment he made that stayed in the back of my brain somewhere all of these years. And so when I was in grad school, I finally started, I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out. Like something is going on here. And so I researched the history of Indiana and Indiana was like the headquarters for the KKK for like years, strong KKK presence, like the whole government in the like 1920s. It was like well known that you had to be KKK, like well connected to the Klan to get to get into office. 
in in the state of India, like into the government. Um, and that whole thing ended up um, coming to light when it was this horrid story. I can't remember this guy's name, but he was like the grand dragon or, you know, like up there in the, the <laughs> clan hierarchy. I don't know all the terminology. And he ended up like kidnapping this woman and raping her. And she um, like survived for a couple of days. She wow. passed away a couple of days later, but she like lived for a couple of days and was able to, you know, tell someone what had happened, who had done this to her. And so when they caught this, the perpetrator and started you know, like unraveling his clan connections. And because he was, I think in high up in the government too. I can't remember for sure. It's been a while since I've read about this. Um, but I guess after he got busted, he decided to like rat out all of his <laughs> friends. And so then it just kind of like unraveled this whole, just like scandal that pretty much like the entire state government in Indiana was were like clan members and um and there's a bunch of stats i remember too just like the super high percentage of men in indiana that were part of the clan i mean it's it's anyways so it's just that's why i mean all that is still present today like that doesn't just go away you know like just because yeah. we're a couple generations later so once i found out that and 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 ohio is actually quite similar yeah. Ohio has a very similar history, and I also consider it to be <laughs> a trash state. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I just texted my mom. She was in Fort Wayne. Oh, Fort, Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. I don't um, know as much about northern indiana but yeah yeah I mean, um, i'm sure it couldn't have been good i so i don't i don't know anything about indiana and uh, i mean i've driven through it several times but i've never had a reason to stop maybe indianapolis once um but obviously i've, I've lived in ohio and i mean i i don't feel as strongly about it as you do <laughs> but i will say um one of the reasons we came to texas was because of all the um what's the word like it, there was a lot of subtle racism in the in the city at least in Columbus right because um, I lived there I, so I can speak directly to that there's a lot of the like real it's subversive it was just real quiet it wasn't in your face and I hated it because like you could go to a store and like not get service and just weird things like that. And I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist in Texas. It does. But the difference with the racism here, and I always tell people this, is it's in your face. Right. <laughs> so I know who I'm dealing with. Right, right. It's Which not real could subtle. be considered <laughs> better or worse, depending on who you're talking to. Right. But I get what you're saying, though. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I had some weird experiences in Columbus, which I don't know if we want to go into those, but because the, the, there was a, a, there's a pretty large um, international student population at OSU. Yeah. Like Asian international students. I mean, it's like 5%. So it's not like, you know, it's not like 50%. But, um, and so I would, I would just get these weird, like people that would ask me if I speak English because they're used to 
you know, dealing with international students, I guess. And I would just like, look at them. Like, why, why don't you just talk to me? And then you'll find out. Yeah. Like, why don't you just say something? Um, or that would, or, and people would react very strangely often in Columbus to what I was studying. Um, yeah. cause you know, Ohio state's so big, there's all these like PhD students and master's students. And so, uh, Oh, you know, what are you studying? I would just meet random people doing whatever. And, um, I'd be like, oh, you know, African-American and African studies. And this one dude, I think he was Asian, was like, are you black? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, do I look black? <laughs> You're standing in front of me. It's daylight. Like, I, I don't know. There were just some weird, and we, weird situations there. <laughs> me and you talked about that, I think, off air. Um, yeah. where you said, I can't remember what you said, but it was something to the effect of that's how bad the racism is. Right. That people can't imagine that you would be interested in d- d- doing black studies <laughs> right. if you're not black. Like only black people can do that. <laughs> yeah. Only black people would care. Only black people would be interested in black studies. Yeah. That's how much like black folks and everything about black folks are, are, is seen as like inferior or unworthy. I'm just like, y'all study Shakespeare and European shit all the time. That's everybody studies that. And nobody questions that. Preach. Like, right. <laughs> but I'm not black and I'm studying black studies. And now all of a sudden you're looking at me and you think, even though you can tell, like there's, I don't look black, like phenotypically, yeah. but you think I must be. So yeah. Anyways, Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's get back on track. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you have other. Oh, I I can talk about Columbus all day. Um, (laughs) But uh, like I said, my my views aren't as as strong as yours, but I I do have a lot of racial issues, you know, with Columbus. Well, because Columbus is, it's an overgrown small town. It's an yes. college town. Yes. I and always like said something like to that effect. I was like, Columbus is like a giant or not a giant. It's a big, small town. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. I mean, that's why it's not like, because I think Columbus is maybe what? It's pretty high up there as far as size. Yeah. You know, it's like the 16th largest city in the U.S. or something like that. I mean, it's pretty high up there on the scale, but, but it's not. There are other cities that are that size, the size of Columbus or smaller that have ginormous metropolitan areas that then make it seem more like a city of a couple million. That is not Columbus. Yeah. Like Columbus is cornfields. You go outside it like a mile outside of Columbus and you're in the freaking cornfields. And so it's really like a, exactly what you said, a giant small town slash college town. And so, yeah, I mean, there's some, I I liked Columbus. I liked my time there. Um, But it very quickly felt really small. Okay, okay. (laughs) In a way that I didn't expect that it was going to. All right, I have to tell you something. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, mark your spot. I'll make this as quick as I can. And I I don't think I told you this. Did I ever tell you I tried to build a recording studio slash entertainment venue in Columbus? Did I ever tell you that? Oh, Lord. No. I've never but. said this publicly, I don't think. <laughs> um, <a> confession. <laughs> but 
But um, I, you also know I'm in the music production and all that. And um, are were you? Did you ever go to the King Lincoln District? Yes. You ever? Did you ever go down there? I can't remember what street that is. Um, oh, yeah, I, we are commute like our um department had a community center like an extension center down there and down I, I worked there. down there for a little bit yeah okay so i basically was was uh came up with the idea to build this uh recording studio slash um entertainment space where people could hear live music and it made uh record level resources record label like yeah. level resources available to <sighs> everyday people because I was big in the music community. Right. And so um, came up with this idea, worked on it for about a year and a half, business plan, all of that, had an architect. Oh, no. Um, oh, wait, you know where this is going? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, I'm so sad already. <laughs> right. And um, and it was literally on that. Uh, I can't remember that street. Oh I my think god! I know what you're talking about. Um, there's a big theater there. And yes. Some like very historic, like the historic black part yeah, of town. Right there. And yeah. so there was a lady there. Uh, shout out to Charity. Um, she had a coffee <laughs> shop, right? Okay. And I uh, can't remember the name of the coffee shop. She had had it there for um, a couple years, I think, that she opened, and she she was black, and she was the owner. And uh, the community loved it and accepted it, and, and and it was it was working well over there, and it was down the street from the theater. And so I got with her, and she brought me in and introduced me to all these you know community people and other businesses in the area. And I had to present my idea to them, and I'm like, look, I want to help build this area up, like the short north. But, you okay. know, like yeah. or like an urban short north, right? Right, right, right. And I was going to attract new business with what I was doing. And we're going to make this really interesting street here. Kind of like so, revitalize the area. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was going to attract more business. And I had the community. The community was behind me. Um, everybody was behind me. And there was a building over there that was an old rundown building. Oh, I'm going to put this on blast. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hope they listen to this or somebody shares it because this is the, this is the truth. Okay. And so there was this building over there called the Edna. Okay. And it was this old building that was run down, overgrown with plant life. It was maybe three levels. And, um, I, I had the architect draw up everything we needed to, you know, redo this, uh, not tear it down because it was an old historical building, uh, you know, just, um, revamp it and all that. And uh, architect had these floor plans. It was all done. Um, there was money that President Obama had set aside for um, urban communities, like these large grants that okay. you didn't have to pay back. Okay. And it was for urban development, urban economic development. And I can't tell you how I found out about that money, but I found out about that money. And it was supposed to be public information. But okay. Nobody knew about it. Okay. Right, right, right. And so I found out about this money and um, I had a meeting. I can't remember who I met with somebody in the economic development department, present everything to them. Um, basically, they gave me a lot of, I had a lot of things I had to, a lot of stipulations, a lot of things I had to meet in order to possibly get the building. Um, okay. And everything brought to code. 
they asked me for crazy things like give us like a 10 year projection on your business and all this other weird stuff that I wasn't familiar with. And I would always take it back to my CPA and the architect. And they're like, what? And I don't know any better. So I'm like, this is what the city wants. So I, they make right. a demand. I go do it. They make a demand. Right. I go do it. Try they, to make this work. Yeah. Every time they put something up, I would do it. And I think the total cost of the uh, building, the operation cost was maybe like 2 million. Okay. okay? And I got to Chase Bank, and I basically, long story short, got Chase to put up a million. Okay. Wow. Okay. And if they put up a million, well, the city said, you know, we'll we'll give you a million of our of that urban fund money if you can go find another million. And I found that million with Chase. Okay. And uh, and when we were going to bring them to the table, and the building was going to be used as collateral uh, in case it didn't work, they could take the building. <clears throat> and they didn't think I was going to find the million. Right. <laughs> okay. I was probably 28 when I was doing this, 29. Well, okay. I'm this young black kid that nobody's ever heard of. And like, who is right. this guy in our office asking us for a million dollars? Right. <laughs> and then like I'm meeting all their demands and exceeding it. And so they actually, last thing they did to me was they said, I had to pay for an envir- environmental assessment of the land beneath the building which cost about $250,000. Oh my god. And they said you pay for that and then we'll look at it and see if it, if everything works out then we may oh give you the gosh. building. Oh my gosh. And so I was like, "Wait, you want me to pay for your guys' environmental assessment of this land and I won't and even this isn't there's no even guaranteed. this isn't guaranteed?" Yeah. Who would do that? Right. <laughs> I'm out. And so that's <laughs> when we all pulled out of the deal. Gosh. And since then they have, they put up construction uh, roadblocks on that street. So traffic can't go through there. Huh? And they, they, there was, it was odd that they shut down that street. Basically the effects hmm. of that is it choked off charity's business <gasps> and everything in that street pretty much died. That's horrible. Okay, and you go and she, her business is now closed, and a lot of a lot of it didn't work out over there. If you go over there now, guess what's over there? Probably condos. Condos. Damn it! How did I know that? <laughs> condos. How and, did I know that? And other white businesses. Gosh. They didn't want us there. They gentrified it. That's when I got pissed off and left Columbus. <laughs> We'll see. Trash state. I told you. <laughs> Why are you arguing with me, bro? I was <laughs> just I'm like, about. <laughs> I'm like, I have evidence that there, I mean, and I can, I mean, I, I guess I can't say evidence. All I can say is this is how it felt to me. Well, come on. You know, and it felt like they didn't want black people blowing up that town. No, they wanted their, their condos. Yeah. So white folks can get rich off of that area <laughs> yeah so they kill the king Lincoln district or they keep it under because i think the theater's still there so they keep it there i think that's there for them to be able to say well look see we're not a racist city right you know we're open to african americans just but just to an, a, an extent you know not too much right right <laughs> right gosh yeah i mean gentrification and all that's definitely an area i'm still learning about like the ins and outs of exactly how 
people finagle that, but man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the story you just shared is an exact example of that. Yeah. Gosh. So Columbus. All right. Good. <laughs> yeah. So the trash state. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I can't go that far. <laughs> I'll just say they weren't very friendly to me. Come on. <laughs> to the this point. The KKK. <laughs> you can't call it a trash state. <laughs> I mean, I guess that would be most of the states in this country. Yeah, Anyways, so. but those are the ones I have experience with. Again, I'm not saying all the people that live in these, these states are trash. That's not what I'm saying. But it's just, like I said, the history of those um things you know that stuff doesn't go away and it's like you know I always used to tell people too when when talking about this history of the the clan and stuff it's like these are were your uncles and your grandparents and your your fathers and the ironic part is like I didn't know at that point that my own father was a KKK sympathizer uh, he I he was never part of the clan that I know of like actively but here I was telling everybody like <laughs> these are no daddies these are your, like your uncles your grandparents your pastors yeah. and here I was and this is also my own father who holds these views which like I said I only found that out about a year ago that he came out with that so anyways but yeah those histories especially when um you know, it's, it's the systemic racism that we talked about when these things are in your government institutions and in your systems and your education systems, which that's the case all across this country. But I think that took, you know, it took root in different ways in each state. And so yeah. I think when that's so deeply ingrained, it's like that's still going to be playing out today. Like the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that was not really that long ago. Like we think it was so long ago, you know, but um, those things are still, yeah, playing out. But, you know, overall, I made some great friends in Columbus. I'm grateful for the, the education I got at Ohio State. It's not like I didn't appreciate my time there, but I quickly became, came to realize, like we talked about, that this is this is an overgrown small town, and this is what I'm trying to get away from. Like, <laughs> that's not what I want anymore mm -hmm. in my life. And so, um, yeah, so by the time I lived there two years, I— I was, I was, you know, ready. I was ready to move on somewhere bigger. And so that's how I ended up here in Chicago. And now Chicago is starting to kind of feel a little small, not in the same way that Columbus did. So mm -hmm. maybe part of that is just getting used to your surroundings. Once it becomes familiar, it doesn't feel so big, you know? Uh, yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah. But anyways, but yes, I have lots of good memories of... <laughs> Ohio don't get me wrong uh, but I just know and I would, I would hear things when I was in Columbus I would hear things like oh there's this don't go I forget the name of this town don't go through don't drive through this town that's just you know 30 miles outside of Columbus because there's like they're known for skinheads there's a big group of skinheads there or um, like I, tr I would track some of these like right-wing organizations um have been tracked and found that a lot of the headquarters for those are in Ohio, not in Columbus necessarily, but like right outside Columbus. Um, lots of like right wing 
orgs that are based there. So just stuff like that, where that's what leads me to be like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. So anyways, um, okay. Where are we on time? <laughs> um, well, we're at, we're at an hour. Um, okay. but I, I think like the last one was like, a, like an hour and 20 minutes. I think, I think we're fine over like with an hour and a half. Okay. So I mean, unless you, unless you feel differently. Well, I'm fine, but my friends are all like, keep it to an hour max. <laughs> yeah. That's what the, the people are saying. But whatever. I mean, but did we, going? yeah, a little bit, because I feel okay. like it's really open ended right now. I don't feel like we have a, this is like a good stopping point. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I kind of wrapped up what I wanted to say about my parents' relationship. And so I guess to speak about interracial, intercultural relationships more, um, generally is, um, well, and I guess about the rate, let's get to the racial fetishes. Cause that's what we've said we're going to talk about. Yeah. So let, let me actually talk about some of those. Okay. So again, like I said last time, I'm not anti- interracial relationships at all. I just want people to have their eyes open and especially people of color, right? About some of these factors that can play in, in, um, intimate relationships. And so let me just throw out a couple of <laughs> these phrases, I guess, and we'll see what you've heard of what okay. you haven't. Um, so, so racial fetishes, a racial fetish from, what I understand the definition of that to be is basically when um, someone kind of dehumanizes another person and is kind of reducing them to certain physical features, right? right. So the shape of Asian women's eyes or um, black folks, you know, full lips or, you know, different physical features. And that's kind of what they're, um, focused on and, and obsessed with in kind of painting all the people of a certain group as, you know, instead of seeing them as individuals with different personalities and different characteristics, it's kind of like, well, you <laughs> are Asian or you are black. And so I'm into you because I think you're going to look this certain way, or, and, but it's all based on stereotypes, right? Because we know not every black person looks the same or every Asian person looks the same. So I think it's hard to separate like racial fetishes are also heavily based on stereotypes. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I, so I, I had a question. I was like, so it, when you're saying racial fetishes, it, it, it what comes to mind is, is an automatic like negative connotation to right. it. Um, is there a difference between a racial fetish and being attracted to, a certain kind of person. Well, I mean, that's the big debate, right? <laughs> Cause like, what if there is a guy like that's a completely, you know, I don't know, fine person or whatever. And for whatever reason, they have an attraction to black women and yeah. they treat them just fine. But well, for whatever I mean, reason, they have a bend towards black women. Like, a like they, they have a type or, yeah, like uh, it could yeah. be a white guy, an Asian guy, a Hispanic guy. He just loves well, black women. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the debate, okay. right? Like, I think people can 
ah, this is so, this is like where it gets complex, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, I think on some level, sure, we have certain features, characteristics, racial or otherwise, right, that, that, that we find attractive. Um, but where does that cross the line? Yeah, that's my next question. It's like, when does it spill into, over into racial fetish? Exactly. And I think that's the, the, the piece that can be hard to figure out sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a very gray, it can be a very gray area. Um, I think, but, but there are red flags. Yeah, I guess right? there wouldn't be like a, uh, there can't be a rule or a standard because I think it would be case by case, right? You would yes, have to. but, but mm-hmm. there are patterns. As in anything, mm-hmm. right? There are patterns, and you can start to see those patterns and those red flags. And maybe you don't have to necessarily label it something from the get go. You can give it a little time to see, you mm-hmm. know, with this particular person. But I think with anything, especially when we're talking about racism, you know, we've talked about this a lot. The patterns start to emerge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think w- once you're you're familiar with those patterns and familiar with what a fetishing type type person or relationship looks like, it's easy to identify that. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm at the place that I'm familiar enough with all of this that I can just instantly, you know, there are some areas of racism where I can feel out where you are quickly, right? Like really quickly. I don't mean you, but just a person. Whereas there are other areas where I'm still fine tuning. I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out. So I am, am, I I don't even want to say an expert, but I'm a lot better in feeling out what's, what it looks like and feels like when someone's fetishizing me, right? Because that's the experience I've had well, I think throughout my life. I think that's the answer. Like what you're saying right now, and I just literally looked up the definition of fetish, and it says a form of sexual desire in which gratification is linked to an abnormal degree to a particular object, item of clothing, part of the body. So abnormal. Right, and so, so to add to that definition, an abnormal like part of the body or racial physical characteristic, yeah. right? Cause we're, we're particularly talking about this in a racialized way. Right. Um, so I, I've learned and, but I still miss it sometimes, but I, you know, I've learned to identify what that looks like for me as an Asian woman, mm-hmm. when I'm being like approached in a very fetishizing or stereotyped kind of way, but I don't, I can't say that I instantly am going to recognize what that looks like for a black woman or uh, a Latino man or, but I'm familiar enough with some of the terminology, I guess. Um, Yeah. Like, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where, where, where should I go? Do you have an example of what that looks like for you that you're willing to share? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I have lots of examples as a person who's in my late thirties and has, you know, dated for a couple of decades now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'll just throw out a couple things. So this one actually happened like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Have something hot off the press. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got, went out on a couple dates with this um, 
man who's an African-American man. Uh-huh. And second date, all of a sudden he asks me, <laughs> you're, you're not even going to know what to do with this. He yeah. says, yeah, it was just, we're, we're in the back of the li- a lift going somewhere or an Uber. And he says, yeah, I was just uh, wanting to know if maybe you could like clip my nails or like give me a manicure later. What? <laughs> How old was, was this like, guy? <laughs> Just best guess. Like late 30s, mid 30s. And he, it wasn't even like a bad joke. He was serious? No, he was serious. Out of the blue. Like we were in the back of this Uber. The driver was black and they were just like joking and laughing, but nothing related at all to like nails. <laughs> to like cutting up, we were all laughing, having a good time talking about like i don't even remember what we were talking about and then all of a sudden just out of the blue a pause in the conversation and i'm just like why would what why would you even ask me that and like what would i mean is this something you ask all women on your second date (laughs) i i can't help but think this is because i'm asian and you're somehow associating me, because so many Asians, I'm breaking it down for our listeners, right? So many Asians own nail salons. Yeah. Like, I mean, so, so that may not be him, like a direct, you know, fetish, quote unquote, I guess. But that's letting me know he's a, his, a, his, he's viewing me in a, an extremely racialized way based on stereotypes and and also you know is he just assuming like i'm just gonna i'm there to like wait on him like who asks a grown-ass adult to clip their nails yeah i I, i'm kind of dumbfounded like i don't even know how to to respond to that like rather than being into you the person it's the idea the idea of me yeah and that gets at what these fetishes are right it's the idea of you as a person of x race or you know and and based on stereotypes and some of that some of those are sexual some of those are not sexual right clipping your nails and um, maybe it but, is for him or maybe maybe it is maybe you that's his know. thing <laughs> He did have like a hand fetish thing, so maybe maybe it was connected. Um, <laughs> um, and this is a person that, you know, he makes uh, six figures. You know, has two college degrees, worked as a successful journalist for six years. You know, this isn't some like. I mean, he is weird, but this isn't some like you know person that just can't function in society. <laughs> or he's functioning on some level. Um, so that's one example. Um, my ex fiance, this is a big reason why he's the ex fiance. Yeah. Um, this is when I was in Columbus. So <laughs> back to that. Hooray. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yay, Columbus. Um, but one time told, and he, he was uh, in his mid 30s at the time. This was about five years ago, four or five years ago, a white man. And this is when I was in grad school. But yeah, he at one point told me that he had this like, you know, sexual fantasy of me dressing up like this Asian schoolgirl or something. 
And I was like, okay, creepy on a lot of levels. Yeah. Like, that's just weird. Like, and a schoolgirl. Like, that's weird too. Like, I don't know, some people are into those kind of things, but I'm just like, no, bro. Like, that it, it just, it's just weird. <laughs> and, you know, some other, like, um, I mean, he was also someone who very much expected me as the woman to do everything <laughs> around the house. And I mean, just Kate, the cooking and the, just cater to him in every single way. And again, I can't help but think, I mean, maybe he's that way towards all women or maybe he, those expectations were even higher of me as an Asian woman. You know, and you don't know. I'm not inside his brain. Right. Like, you don't know exactly what people are thinking, but... But you know how it feels. I know how it feels, and I know I'm familiar with the messages that people, that white folks are internalizing through media about Asian women or black men. We know the stereotypes, right? Yeah. And so then when people are interacting with you in a way <laughs> that kind of is very much leaning on those stereotypes, it's like, yeah, this is likely playing into this person's interaction with me. Um, so those are, I mean, those are a few examples. I, um, I love it when, and I don't know if this has happened to you, when the response to if you speak out about whatever is happening that makes you uncomfortable, it's you're overreacting. Right. I love that. I'm like, yeah, because, because you would know, you know, right. like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Um, there, there was also, um, this was longer ago, maybe eight or so years ago. Um, this was back when I still lived in Southern Indiana. Um, a Jamaican guy that I dated for a couple of months and, started to realize that he had more anti-black prejudice and like internalized had internalized that to a larger degree i mean like we would get into arguments like <laughs> where i was the one like defending black folks and he was the one like talking about like nigerians and this and that and they do all this and i'm like I remember one time he said something about Nigerians put like poop in a jar and like put it in their closet. I mean, just stupid shit. And I'm like, what are you? And this was his like example of how like black folks are uncivilized or what, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, that's self hatred. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> and his, I mean, and his, he had been married before his ex wife was white. And so when we talk about patterns, right? And I started to notice like in his life, I felt like everything about his life was him trying to get in good with white people. See, right. It's that guy. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that. It's that's the guy that, that makes my life more difficult. <laughs> it's that guy. Damn you Jamaican man. <laughs> it's that guy. Cause it's cause I'm married to a quote unquote white woman. Right. You know, and that's, because I've had several, ooh, I could tell you some stories, um, about who people think I am. 
who they and they think the reason they they think they know the reason I'm married to my wife, or right. they know what kind of black man I am because I'm married to my wife. Right. And it's that guy. <laughs> right, and that sucks. I mean, that sucks to for you to have to deal with that. Yeah. But the, those assumptions are there for a reason, and I'm not like. I'm not defending. No, because they're they're that. real people. Right. Like you, you just gave the example. There are guys out there doing that. There are not right. guys, but there's people doing that. Right, right. So yeah, so I mean, those are a couple of examples from my, from my life. I mean, but there's there's a ton. Those are just a few. Like, and I've had people. I think even being mixed race, like it's like people feel like entitled to dissect me. In a way that is just like really fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like one time this, this guy, um, I was, I used to do a lot of like, um, like salsa dancing, swing dancing, Lindy hop, just, I don't know. I just like dancing. It's fun. Mm -hmm. And so I was out one time with a friend, um, and this guy asked me, you know, about my, my background which is code for, you know, what race are you? And when I told him, he's like, yeah, but you have a white body. There it <laughs> like, is. Look me up and down. There it and is. And I'm like, what does that even mean? There I mean, I know is. what it means, but it's like, I don't fit the stereotypical, which isn't even true of all Asians at all. Right. But the stereotypical image of like the super thin Asian woman, like I'm not, like big but i'm i'm a, like a little curvier than that you know and, and mm -hmm. so it's like oh well, you have a white body and i'm like what like how do people feel emboldened like i don't even know this guy's name like i didn't know he was a stranger and you feel emboldened to like just analyze me and and people have done that about you know my racial identity my whole life too you know, like, oh, well, you're a fake Asian or you're you're not a real, you know, a real Asian because I don't I don't fit into their stereotypes of what a quote unquote real Asian sounds like or looks like, which is, you know, people who have migrated recently, right? Like an accent and a this and a that. And I don't fit that. And so it's like so they feel entitled to just completely erase my Chinese heritage because I don't fit their stereotypical notion of what an Asian woman should, should look like or sound like. And I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. But I mean, that's what people would tell me my whole life, like my whole life. That was the type of scrutiny and people just felt like they could just tell me who I was racially, um, and just come to their own conclusions and, and let me know how they were labeling me. And I'm like, I'm not over here talking about what kind of white person you are. Or like <laughs> Whether you, you fit my stereotypes as a white person or not, or you know what I'm saying? But you feel like you can just tell me that. Yeah. Hey, Matt, so, you talk white. Right. Word. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what do black what, what am I supposed to sound like? Why don't you go ahead and give me an example? <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Actually, that's great. I'm Just go ahead and that. do that real quick. And the sad thing about that is, 
I get that from black and white people. Right. And I'm like, really? Yeah. My own people? Really? That's, right. That's what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe this is a, we're coming up to maybe a good stopping point, but I, this is, um, man, I feel like we could do this like a whole episode to share those kind of stories. Um, I think we should. And maybe that will enlighten some people that aren't aware of it, that maybe I shouldn't be saying those kind of things, or maybe it makes them think about it. I think we should have a to be continued. Yeah. And there's a few more like racial fetish things I haven't gotten to. Oh, absolutely. We still <laughs> so haven't finished let's that. Do a part, let's do a part three. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, so did you want to do like, I guess where we just share, we're like having like a meeting conversation now on the podcast. <laughs> do you want yeah. to, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't give a fuck. No, I'm kidding. Um, do you want to have like a, just a separate episode to talk about like stereotypes sure. where we share those kind of yeah. stories? Yeah. All right. I think it's. I, I guess, think it'd be good. I guess we put that um, on the docket. Because I mean, I think hearing people's personal experiences of here's what people have said to me. You know, I think sometimes people just don't. It's too vague, you know, like for them to really understand. So I think hearing personal examples is really, um, you know, it can be powerful in a in a different kind of way. And I think it's therapeutic for us. <laughs> I know, right? To just talk about it. <laughs> I'm a bitch session. <laughs> <laughs> Call the episode bitching. I mean, hey, I might just do that. And then you want to know what this motherfucker said to me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this motherfucker said this to me. Well, my motherfucker said this. Well, my motherfucker said this. <laughs> One of my, my friend, Evelyn, I'm going to be talking about her a lot, yeah. pointed out too, though. Um, and this could be a whole nother, another podcast too, but she was like, I'm so glad she's the, she's a black woman yeah. from originally from Zimbabwe, but she was like, I think it's so good that you're talking about your experiences as an Asian woman, because people are so quick to try to, um, well, and the national narrative has tried to put Asians in this category of like almost white or you know, like honorary whites or they're people of color, but they don't really face, you know, racism. And granted, it's different. Like I get that, that I am not facing racism on the scale that the majority of black folks are facing racism in this country. I readily acknowledge that, but, but, you know, it all comes out of the same place. Like I would have these conversations with my friend in grad school and she would be um, a black friend and she would be so surprised sometimes at the, the things that I would talk about. And I'm like, white supremacy spares no one, right? Like if you're not white, white supremacy is not going to spare you. Like, and those experiences we have, you know, play out differently. The experiences you have as a black man are going to be different than the racist experiences I have as an Asian woman. And yet there are so many common threads you know, and patterns, and it's 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 all coming from white supremacy. And I think if we could, like, I don't know, I guess cue cue this is where I'm supposed to go into the if we could all just get along, you know, <laughs> like. But I mean, I think even as people of color, right? If if we could just 
grab onto that a little bit more that like, yes, our experiences of racism are different and, and yeah, black folks have it the worst for sure. But let's like try to understand each other and, and realize that, that this is all coming from the same common <laughs> place. And there's probably a lot more here we could resonate with than not if we would just like listen and talk to each other. So sorry, there's my super cliche spiel. No, but that's, <laughs> it's, that's so obvious, but that thought specifically has never occurred to me, what you just said, as far as it's all coming from the same source. Yeah, but because we're because you often hear about the the arguments between races and, and cultures or whatever, or even male and female, where you'll see like and and it's wrong, but it's not it's wrong, but it's not wrong. And what I mean is, like you'll hear like some I forget who it was, this, oh like a white female uh, movie star said something like our she compared the women's struggle to African American struggles. Right. When you get those like comparisons, you're like, whoa, 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 because we're not saying that that's not true, but it's almost kind of like that all lives matter thing where you're like taking away from um, the the black issues. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it is right. not the same. Yes, I, I think there's danger in there's danger in overgeneralizing. Yeah. Right, and not recognizing the specifics of different people groups oppression or different but there's also danger danger in i think um getting so overly specific that we don't recognize the the common source of these issues or recognize like that we're really working for the same goal or we could be if we got our shit together yeah <laughs> um that's why I get so mad. Sometime I'll go. Sometime I'll go into this. We should do another podcast on this. But it, like, I get so mad at like the. There's a ton of anti-black prejudice in Asian communities. You know, it's a big issue, and I see that in some of my family members sometimes. And um, just went off on a couple. I have some very distant cousins in California that I've gotten into it like big time with them a couple different times because they've grown up in very like Asian bubbles, like the typical California, you know, Bay Area Asian bubble and don't really understand what it's like in the rest of the country. Um, and yeah, I mean, they'll just be spewing this like anti-black prejudice. And I'm like, will y'all get yourselves together? Cause like you're really pissing me off right now. Like you all of all people should understand you know what I'm saying? As like Asian migrants, <laughs> unless they're in such a bubble in the area where they live that they haven't really experienced that, which I think is true for some Asians on the West Coast. But anyways, I'm getting off on a whole nother. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I don't Sorry. know if this is exactly what trip. you're saying, but it's it's kind of like in my head what I hear when I hear you say that is it's like, well, at least we're not black. Um, yeah. I hear that from. I've heard that before. I'll just say that. Yeah. And we should, you know, be happy about that. It's, 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 it feels but, like betrayal. Yeah. And my thing is like, if you all know anything about the history of Asian Americans in this country, then you would know, like there was the, the 
um, Chinese Exclusion Act. Like Chinese people were the first ethnic group that was specifically barred from migrating. Like that was like Chinese Exclusion Act. These people cannot immigrate here. Like and a lot of our my family members were affected by that in huge ways. Yeah. I mean, there were there were um, Asian folks, Chinese folks that were lynched in on the West Coast in pretty large numbers. Like there's lots of, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm just like, if y'all knew anything about like the history of Asian Americans in this country and what our own experiences have been, then you should be able to, based on that, validate what our African-American brothers and sisters and other people of color are saying. Like, come on. So anyways, you can tell I get like heated around this topic. So we'll do a podcast about that too. Yeah, super interesting because I I have questions about that just personally because I, um, I, what was the, I I don't know a whole lot about this I, maybe you do, uh, where uh, what was what is it called the railroads that they were working on, um, in the United States? Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, Chinese folks built. <laughs> yeah, and something about they were using drugs. To and, control, and they use that to arrest them or get rid of them or something like that. Um, does that does that sound familiar to any? Um, I can't. The, I, I need to research this a little bit more. Yeah, I'd have to look into that. I mean, I know there was a ton of corrupt. You know, I mean, just abusive practices towards um, Chinese folks that were building the railroad. But I, you know, I would have to kind of like. Yeah, it's brush up on specifics of that. That's too. probably even that a whole other thing. It's just it's one of those situations where you see the government in that, enacting systematic racism. Exactly. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we have been victims of this and still are today, too. So why is it so hard to understand that like black folks have been and are as well? Right. Like, come on, people. Like, <laughs> yeah. I get frustrated. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, but. Yes, let's wrap this up. We have lots of um, good podcast ideas for. <laughs> yeah, this is going to go on for a while. So yes, and I'm, I'll, we'll share more about that later. Okay. So thank good. you again for coming on. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Okay, you as well. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye bye. Okay, bye. So there you go. Uh, another great episode, I think. Um, talking about. Uh, that stuff that makes people uncomfortable, and if it's if you're not uncomfortable in life, I don't think you're I don't think you're growing. Can't live in your comfort zone the whole time. So let me go ahead and get us out of here. So I don't get yelled at for um, podcast being too long. Um, I'm just gonna shuffle a song here to take us out, and hopefully some fun comes up. Oh, okay. One time. Foxy uh, Brown featuring Method Man, Ill Nah Nah. Let's let this rock. See you guys. Um, I'll actually be out of town next week, so I either will have a replay episode up or no episode. But I'll be back the week after for sure with a new episode.
in a track record. I'm all about black, shaking my ass half naked. Loving this life, waiting for Kim album to drop. Knowing it's tight, standing on the stage, closing the show, holding the gap. Since you opened up, I know you're hoping it's whack, niggas. Screaming my name on record, straight ballad. Maybe I'll answer back when you reach a hundred thousand. This is ladies' night in the Mercedes tag. When I'm coming home, maybe tonight. Leave my pool by the microwave, kiss the baby goodnight. It's my time to shine, it's playtime tonight. Home, but trying to stay my ground. Knowing I fall, I left your ass home alone. Hoping I call in. Hey, Eggs over easy, hope you have my shit tight when I open my eyes While I'm eating, getting guests up, this ain't your pad I left some money on the dresser, find you a cab, no more Shivering our pain, shivering our main It's time to outslip niggas, ladies, shivering our game Put it in high gear,